0: Hello and welcome to TechneCast, a podcast series showcasing research from across the arts and humanities. This week we have another episode for our Narratives of Nation series with our guest Beth Williamson. Beth is a PhD researcher exploring how the Royal Geographical Society tackled the problem of orthography when recording and mapping place names in the 19th and early 20th centuries. I'll leave you now to enjoy Beth's paper and I'll be back later to chat with Beth a bit more about her research.
1: Part 1. Question of Orthography, Confusion and Uniformity On the 9th of December 1878, at a council meeting of the Royal Geographical Society in London, it was decided that a committee should be appointed to consider adopting a uniform system of orthography. This was to standardise how place names appeared in the Society's publications. Less than three months later, on the 20th of February 1879, The Orthography Committee held its first meeting. The activities of that committee and the impact its work had on the production of geographical knowledge in the following decades is the focus of my PhD, which is a collaboration between the Department of Geography at Royal Holloway and what is now the Royal Geographical Society with the Institute of British Geographers. Before telling the story of orthography at the Royal Geographical Society, may be helpful to explain what orthography is and why it was considered important in relation to place names. Orthography is the practice of correct spelling according to established usage. It is a set of conventions for writing a language. A central question for the society was whether or not it should, as a geographical authority, set those conventions, well at least in respect to its publications, or whether authors should be allowed to spell names as they pleased. Importantly, Orthography was as much about sound as it was about spelling, and was used as a mechanism for governing the cross-cultural exchange of, largely colonial, knowledge and information. It was also a device for one nation, Britain, to impose its colonial authority over other nations and territories. Orthography, as it relates to place names, was discussed and debated at the Society almost since its foundation in 1830. Yet very little has been written about those debates in the wider literature on the disciplinary history of geography. My PhD looks to fill that gap by exploring how the society tackled the problem of orthography, revealing the relationship between institutional authority and geographical knowledge, as well as linking geography, linguistics, politics and diplomacy as fields of inquiry. My initial research has shown that the issue of orthography and consistency in spelling was being discussed as early as 1838. On the topic of spelling place names, George Cecil Renuard, a linguist, geographer and botanist, wrote to the then Secretary of the Society, Captain John Washington. Renuard stated that if we, as a society, mean to be consistent, one system or other should be followed. Right though Renuard might have been society was slow to make a decision. It was not until the 1870s that orthography became the subject of wider discussion within the society, as some fellows argued that the society should proactively lay down some rules that would lead to the adoption of a uniform system of spelling. Differences of opinion as to what the best system of orthography would be had prevented any previous rules being adopted throughout the institution. But this omission had led to confusion in maps, gazetteers and other printed geographical works, where inconsistencies in the spelling of place names led to confusion, uncertainty and a sense that geography lacked the provision and certainty of other scientific disciplines. The Society decided, therefore, it was time to tackle the problem of orthography in a systematic way. Another reason that orthography came to the forefront of discussions at the Society in the 1870s was the decision taken by British colonial authorities in India to adopt an official orthographic system to inform the compilation of provincial gazetteers. In 1869, authorities in India had authorised Dr William Wilson Hunter, who was a member of the Indian Civil Service, to develop a single orthography of Indian geographical names, which was to replace three competing systems that had previously been used. In February 1870, The governments of India approved the adoption of Hunter's system, which subsequently was published in 1871 as a guide to the orthography of Indian proper names with a list showing the true spelling of all post towns and villages in India. This combination of reasons, anxiety over the status of the society as an authority, and the apparent success and value of Hunter's recent system, led to members of the Society more urgently calling for the adoption of a system of orthography. Part 2. People and Places Once appointed, the Orthography Committee quickly set to work. The Committee's first major decision, in March 1879, was to recommend that the spelling of all the names included in Dr Hunter's Imperial Gazetteer having already been authorised by the Government of India, be spelled in this way, and become the system for the Society's publications for the spelling of Indian place names. For the spelling of Persian and Arabic names, the system of transliteration that had been approved by Sir Henry Rawlinson, who was a scholar of Persian and Indian languages, was proposed. This system was said to be in accord with Hunter's Imperial Gazetteer of India, and therefore should become the rule for spelling of proper names in Persia, or what is now Iran, Afghanistan, the Persian Gulf, and now modern-day Pakistan. For African names, it was proposed that Hunter's system of rendering vowels and using K instead of a hard C be used generally, except for words of European origin, and Council adopted most of the committee's recommendations. The first phase of its work apparently complete the orthography committee was suspended in June 1881. It wasn't until May 1885 that it was reconvened by the Society's Council when Captain William James Lloyd Wharton, a hydrographer at the Hydrographical Department of the Admiralty, wrote to propose that a committee be appointed to consider the rules adopted in the Admiralty charts for the orthography of native names for countries that didn't use the Roman character and also to report whether they are such rules that could be adopted by the RGS. Whilst it is not apparent why the Orthography Committee ceased functioning for four years, it is clear that in the intervening time, the Admiralty had begun to consider orthography on Admiralty charts and wanted the support of the Society. The new Orthography Committee met for the first time in May 1885 and set out a series of principles, both general and specific, that would guide its work. The first principle stated that any system of orthography for native names to be universal must be simple and must not aim at more than an approximation to the true sound of the word as pronounced by a native. The second, that such a system must be, in the main, founded on the true local pronunciation of the words. The third, that the consonances in English and the vowels in Italian must be the basis of any such system. The fourth, That the names included in Hunter's Gazetteer of India be accepted. And finally, the fifth, that an acute accent shall indicate the syllable on which the stress is to be laid. These propositions had been extracted from a circular produced in August 1884 by Captain Wharton and sent to Admiralty Surveyors. The circular stated the desire for closer adherence to the rules for spelling the names of foreign places, not written in Roman characters or that had not already been written down. This was because a variety of spellings on admiralty charts, due to some names being spelt in accordance with these rules, but others not, had resulted in confusion. Wharton emphasised the importance of correctly pronouncing the place name, not just spelling it, something which then became a crucial consideration for the society's own efforts to supplement and expand its orthographic system. Therefore, in 1885, the RGS established a system of orthography for native names of places based on the rules adopted by the Admiralty. By June 1885, with an eye to the communication and distribution of the Society's orthographic system, the Council arranged for it to be printed in the Society's journal and for copies to be sent to missionary societies, travellers and other interested parties with a view to be making it known as widely as possible. In July 1885, the system was even published in Nature, it is interesting to see the range of governmental bodies that adopted the system, such as the Foreign and Colonial Offices, the Admiralty, the War Office, in particular the Intelligence Division publications, and to consider the authority given to the system by being adopted by these bodies. In 1890, five years since the system had been established, the geographer George Chisholm's report on the system of orthography for native names of places, was presented to the Scientific Purposes and Education Committee of the RGS. In his report, Chisholm posed questions to the society on the system. One question Chisholm asked was whether in foreign possessions of European powers and countries in which a European language is now official, should the spelling be phonetic or that of the official language? He went on to say that where the names are significant in the language of the mother country the mother country being a European colonial power, the question hardly arises as a question of orthography. The general practice is to adopt the spelling of the language to which the name belongs. The reply from the committee was clear. Where the names in colonies are those of the mother country, they should be left unaltered, except where they are already familiar in an English form to the public, and where the names are native, they are to be spelt phonetically according to the rules adopted by the society. This provides an insight into the society's stance on authoritative versions of the written name. European names remained unaltered, while so-called native names, those of the colonised society, were subjected to a process of orthographical change by the society. Furthermore, the Scientific Purpose and Education Committee told Chisholm that the term local must not be taken into a restricted sense, nor is applying to the dialects of the less educated inhabitants. Whilst the local pronunciation is the desired form to be recorded, as was also the case with the circular sent to the Admiralty surveyors, it becomes apparent that there was a limit to the extent this needed to be followed, with consideration being given to precisely which local person was listened to. A tension between authenticity and authority, in the sense that it was possible to be too local, appears to emerge, and a consideration of class with, as the society coined, less educated, perhaps being authentic, but not accurate in the society's view. At the end of the 19th century, J.C. Dalton reviewed the orthography of geographical names and commented on the society's system of orthography, stating that the purpose of the system was fundamentally to secure uniformity in spelling the names of outlandish places in our various colonies and elsewhere, of which the languages are legion and complicated. This view illustrates the colonial and power dynamics at play within the Royal Geographical Society and how this was applied to the recording of place names. Part 3. Future Directions This brief insight into the orthography committee and its activities has revealed two key issues that I want to investigate further. Firstly, the authority and authenticity of the system of orthography in terms of who was deemed the most appropriate authority to listen to When it came to the pronunciation of a place name which is a question that generated endless debate at the society. Related to this is the question of the relative authority of individual society fellows who are making decisions on orthographic practice as well as the question of the authority of the society itself as an institution that published and distributed the system to a range of societies and institutions both nationally and internationally. I want to explore how individual fellows and the society as an institution imagined and constructed their authority over matters of naming, spelling and pronunciation. This leads me to the second issue, the distribution and circulation of the society system in its various iterations. The system was circulated within the society for purpose of uniformity and clarity, but it was also circulated outside of the society, nationally and internationally. And I'm interested in understanding the reach and impact of that system.
0: Hi Beth, how are you doing today? Hi Livy. yeah I'm good thank you, how are you? Good, yeah I'm all good. Um, thank you first of all for doing the episode, it was a really interesting episode. So first question really is, how did you get into studying orthography?
1: Yeah, so um, the project was actually an advertised collaborative doctoral award studentship, um, And I think what most attracted me to it was that it was a change in direction um, of research for me. Previously, I was researching the historical geographies of an industrial family um, who owned a cotton mill in 19th century Derbyshire. And this project posed a new challenge. And I was interested in this idea of considering orthography as a problem um, for geography, linguistics, politics and diplomacy, as well as taking a history of geography approach to orthography, which had never been applied before. So I think I was drawn to the topic but also the nature of the topic and the approaches that it would take.
0: And is there anything that you've been surprised by in your research so far?
1: Yeah so um, one of the rules that the Royal Geographical Society sets on the orthography of geographical names is quite striking to me and their rules were concerned with the orthography of place names that didn't use Roman characters and one rule they had was that no name change should be given to the spelling of names that were written in non-Roman characters but over um, time and over long usage had become familiar to English readers. So one example was Calcutta which was the anglicised version of the Bengali name Kolkata, and this was the name that was to be retained in its present form rather than changing it to the more local usage. This was also similar in William Hunter's Imperial Gazetteer that I've mentioned before. And he said that when names have obtained a popular or historical fixity of spelling, they must be generally left untouched. So, for example, Bombay, which Hunter said was popular spelling to the public, should remain unchanged and not be changed to Mumbai, which was the more local spelling. And it was colonists that originally named Bombay. So there, I guess, there was this consideration as to which names were popular in English and shouldn't undergo change because of this. Um, so, despite other instances where the native or local usage. Um, was considered and where it was attentive to local pronunciation these projects were still colonial in their nature and an example of a nation enforcing imperial control onto others and there was this concern for retaining a name in common use and not the original which was more important than bestowing the original name back to its rightful place. In both of these cases, the official names have now been changed to the local authentic version, which has shown the processes that have occurred over, I guess, the last century to reclaim these names.
0: That's so interesting. And that kind of leads on to my next question, which is, do you know much about how local people were reacting to the changes?
1: So, unfortunately, due to the colonial nature of the Royal Geographical Society with the Institute of British Geographers Archive, the voices of many are absent or hidden in the records and at this point in my research I haven't actually come across any examples of how the RGS's attempt to standardise orthography was felt by locals but I guess that's the exciting part of historical um, research and research in archives, you never know what might pop up in a letter or any form of historical record that might reveal to me how locals um, felt in certain circumstances but this sort of idea of having um, hidden voices means that it's really important for me to reflect on this absence and critique the space of the archive and the extent to which it can only tell the stories of certain people and hides those of others and researchers have been working on the RGS IBG's archives that have done some really crucial work in revealing the hidden histories and marginalized voices in these archives and I think I need to grapple with how I can try to shine a light on individuals with the work that I am doing.
0: I guess kind of a like a bigger more general question but do you consider orthography important so is it always necessary or are there any situations or examples that you can think of where it wouldn't be necessary?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think in general, for communication and navigation purposes, it was important that there was a written orthography because, as I've said before, this um, effort to standardise orthography, there was confusion on maps and gazetteers um, with different explorers or travellers using different spellings for the same place name. So I guess for cartographic purposes, it would have been beneficial to set a standard that people could follow. But for me, it's about thinking about who was standardising orthography, which is the problematic issue. So, for example, European colonial powers were acting on behalf of local people and using their own rules um, to perhaps alter orthography. And with pronunciation being the main consideration and how local names, the spelt then became less of a uh, important role or had less of an important role and then there's a risk that I guess the authenticity of local people's uh, names was then lost if the spelling of them was altered but I think in the case of the RGS's rules like I said concerned with the orthography of farm names that don't use Roman alphabet I guess it was important to write the names in an orthography using Roman characters so that these areas could be represented cartographically in languages using Roman characters however despite the rules aiming for an approximation to the sound of place names so that natives might recognise them. It is important to question who was being listened to, so this might not reflect the most authentic version in use. Uh, So for example, in the mapping of Gaelic, Scottish, Irish and Welsh in the 19th century by the Ordnance Survey, they had a list of people that they deemed um, an appropriate authority, but this didn't necessarily mean that the most authentic version of the place name was being captured if version used wasn't by locals who use the name every day. So I think if we're to consider decolonising these past processes, I think the model that Sarah Radcliffe argues for is quite crucial to use because Sarah Radcliffe suggests that decolonising geographical research requires a relationship of responsibility and listening to be built with a researcher and Indigenous people, and also that Indigenous people should be part of the research process and not just the subjects of it. Therefore, using Indigenous practices rather than Eurocentric methods should be an approach taken in critical place name research, though while well, this was something that 19th-century projects rarely considered
0: themselves. That all makes a lot of sense. Another thing I was wondering when I was listening through the episode was do you know about other colonialist countries, so I don't know, for example, France or Spain, did they have similar processes or debates about orthography in regards to the countries they colonised?
1: Yeah, so the problem with orthography I found was a shared principle um, between several European countries towards the end of the 19th century. I think a crucial turning point was at the International Congress in 1871, which actually called for geographical societies across Europe to consider the question of producing a uniform system of orthography. So it became quite central to these geographical societies considerations and um, approaches that they took. So for example, in France, due to this call, there was an internationalization of the French alphabet um, and an adoption of the program of the orthography for native names of places that the Royal Royal Geographical Society had produced. So the RGS's system was becoming quite influential, but the lack of a French system To guide their work was quite unpopular with french geographers and many didn't actually follow the system based on the rgs so i guess there's a sense of national pride there as well and who is producing these systems um, which country is um, producing that and whether others will follow that however despite this dislike the french admiralty adopted this system in 1887 and germany also adopted a similar system of orthography for foreign words and Italy was having these similar debates about orthography and how best to um, standardise it. So yeah it was a problem that many European countries were having conversations about and um,
0: attempting to find solutions to. So I was wondering how did the Royal Geographical Society's standardisation of orthography interact with a maybe wider trend of standardising orthography in the 18th? 19th centuries.
1: So I found that there were a range of conversations and debates regarding a uniform system of orthography occurring during this period. One area that this was occurring in was missionary circles. Um, missionaries were quite keen to put into writing the orthography of the places that they worked in um, to improve communication. So, for example, the London Missionary Society in the 1820s, working in Madagascar, and as as preaching religion, they were um, involved in reducing the native language to a regular system of orthography so that the natives could have their own speech in a written form. So, I guess there was a sense of um, improvement um, that certain groups thought that orthography could bring to other people. The American missionaries um, in South Africa also wanted to create a uniform system for recording South African dialects, which I would say it's problematic in itself that they wanted to try and group all of these different dialects together into one. Um, But their belief was that a uniform system of orthography um, could be produced, which would make communicating knowledge um, about places and the languages of South Africa easier to those in the United States. And interestingly, they thought that representing the sound of words and names, and so so pronunciation honoured the native language and made it easier for non-natives to speak was central and an approach that they took. Orthography was also discussed within the Royal Asiatic Society, similar times to the RGS, and was being discussed by members who were also part of the RGS, such as Sir Henry Rawlinson. And these um, individuals who traversed both societies had expertise in specific geographical regions and cultures, and they, I guess, acted as informal knowledge brokers between different land societies when it came to questions of orthography and the standardisation of place names. And I I think finally, as I have briefly touched on, the Ordnance Survey's mapping project, they aim to be considerate to the use of names by locals. Um, And the guidance given to surveyors was that they should obtain the correct orthography of place names. But in the case of Ireland, Irish place names were altered so that English orthography represented the phonology of Irish names. So Irish pronunciation was preserved, but at the cost of Irish orthography. And some scholars have argued that this eroded Irish language and culture. So I think for me it's interesting to consider the tension between preservation of phonology over the written form and then what effects this has on authenticity of the place name that was finally used as the standard.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting to me. And thinking about how all these like different, I suppose, different people, different groups or societies were interacting with each other because they had different concerns or approaches yeah exactly so thanks Beth thank you so much for for answering some of those questions and for doing the episode generally it was really interesting to hear a bit more about something that I just hadn't really thought about before so thank you very much no thank you
1: for giving me the opportunity um to reflect on my work in in, mainly in relation to nation but also how Mm. I guess all these um different aspects of my research start to Link together, and I mm-hmm. can um, begun to start to piece together more this story of the standardisation the um, Royal Geographical Society was striving for, but also putting that into a more national and international
0: um, context. Really interesting, and I'm, I'm glad it's been helpful. Thank you again to Beth for her great contribution to our narratives and nation theme, and thank you for taking the time to listen. If you'd like to get involved in creating an episode with us, please do drop us an email at the address in our bio. You can also find us at Twitter at Technocast and on Instagram at Technopodcast. Keep your eyes and ears out for our upcoming episodes and we'll see you soon.